Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio. Reporting from the basement of the Dairy Civic Center, this is CM Alexander with the news. A new hotspot is opened in downtown Dairy. Lemke's Just Desserts boasts their pies will curse what ails you. That's, that's probably a typo. Either way, head to Lemke's and get what's coming to you. You're listening to Dairy Public Radio. This is Dairy Public Radio. Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio, a bi-weekly Stephen King Book Club podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Kahn, alongside CM Alexander. Hello, everyone. And Benjamin Graham. What up, constant readers? And today we are covering part two of Thinner, our Patreon selection from Kevin Sundstrom, and we are reading through the rest of the book, and we have CM leading our discussion. CM, take it away. Thanks, Josh. To quickly recap from our first coverage of Thinner, our antagonist or protagonist or subject Billy Halleck was cursed by Tadu's Lemke after running over and killing his daughter, Susanna, which was admittedly an accident, but he got off. With a car. <laughs> it, I you, just, you made it sound like, a, oh, I just got to run over here real quick and kill this daughter. Really? Yeah, that's <laughs> that's just, what I heard. The, the cadence. <laughs> that was my immediate thought. He just ran over and killed yeah, his daughter. He just had to run over and kill his daughter. He just got to run over and there, <laughs> kill her real quick. Uh, okay. His wife gave him a hand. <laughs> oh, hey. Jesus. Uh, <laughs> anyway, book. yeah, he doesn't get in much trouble for that because he's a rich white guy. And Lemke has a problem with that. So Billy is cursed and he is rapidly losing weight. That is the nature of his curse. And the other two people involved in serving injustice also got their own version of curses too. Carrie Rossington, the judge, turned into an alligator. Officer <laughs> Hopley's face fell off. We're just stating it very, very <laughs> mildly. (laughs) Billy's wife and doctor are talking about having him involuntarily committed because he told his wife about the curse. And so now he sounds like a crazy person. And uh, in her defense, I'd probably be like, oh, shit, (laughs) gonna have to have you committed. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, In the real world, of course, someone's like, I got cursed. Yeah. So we left off with him hitting the road to track down the Lemke family and try to get him to lift the curse. And we start with Billy arriving at the carnival in Old Orchard Beach with photos of all of these individuals. And he's asking around to see if anyone has seen them and how long it's been since they've moved on. And there's a paragraph in here that reminded me a lot of Revival. Did you guys catch that? No. No, There are a lot of things in the second half of the book that I kept like getting flashes of other stuff we've Mm -hmm. read. What what in particular are you talking about? So this was, he's walking around and it's really hot outside and he's wearing his sport coat because he doesn't want to draw attention to his terrible body. <laughs> so he draws it by wearing a, a coat and he's, he's starting to get like sunstroke or heat stroke and he's describing it as feeling unreal outside of himself. Like he could look behind things and see the lights, cameras, key grips and some unimaginable real world. And I don't, I just just like, Ooh, that feels very... <laughs> Revivally, looking behind things and seeing what's really there. Because it's the next scene for me when he, to avoid said heat stroke, he goes into that dive bar. This entire scene where he's talking to this old man feels like it's from a different book. 
Tell me you guys loved it, though. Uh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> uh, no, I completely agree. Uh, he goes into this bar, and it really is, you get the feeling of when you're someplace strange and, like, it has that carnival circus atmosphere, and then you walk just past where the party is and find some quiet spot. It, mm-hmm. it feels so away. If that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. yeah. The one thing about this scene is it gave me a red herring that I really thought was going to come back in a big way and never did. All right. Hold on. Before you talk about it, should we get a, a boner talk? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Play, is play. red herring not a euphemism for. You're, never mind. You're thinking you're red rocket. The, oh, God. <laughs> no, I just. I just. The phrase, it gave me a red herring. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, we it cut is, all that. Okay, it is too early for yeah. So he goes into the bar, and that is where we meet Lon Enders, a local who knows a lot about both the regular carnival folk who show up year to year, and also what he calls the drift trade. I do. I'm sorry for cutting Josh <laughs> off. I want to know what the red herring was. Oh, uh, so so Lon is telling just kind of like his relationship with. Uh, with the Romani people that come through year after year. He's known them for so long because he worked the the carnivals mm-hmm. when they came around. Billy shows him the picture of tattoos and he's like, Teddy, which was weird. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then he he tells him this is where we find out that they they do like dog fights and cock fights and the fight where you each bite one end of a scarf and I, knife fight each other. I said no boner talk. So <laughs> <laughs> So the, like the the violent stuff that they do mm-hmm. as side attractions, and he talks about that he went up to their camp and in the darkness when he p- couldn't possibly be seen, tattoos came out of his trailer, looked right in his direction, and told Flash is what he called him that he'd be seeing his wife soon, his dead wife. His, yeah, he'd be seeing his dead wife soon, <laughs> and he called him Flash, and that was his his quote secret name. And he says, the line is, they set a hell of a store by knowing a man's secret name. And I was like, that's coming back. It doesn't. Nope. It's just (laughs) not at all. It's just really (laughs) the whole scene is very cool. He tells a great story. And I loved that secret name business. And I I didn't get this because at first I was like, is he going to is he going to get cursed? Did he do something like because like is he living with a curse? Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's why he recognized him and kind of mm-hmm. had that camaraderie and was willing to talk to Billy in the first place. But no, he's just super old. And I feel like Lemke was just being like, dude, you're, you're, you're going to be with her soon. Don't worry. <laughs> not not a, uh, it wasn't threatening. a threat. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, that is one thing I, I was surprised we don't see it all in this book is as he goes on this road trip part of the book that he wasn't going to other towns and finding other cursed people completely unrelated to his to his situation. So I was thinking about that and like, okay, you'd have to be a great investigator because how would you figure out that this death mm-hmm. was tied to that? Especially if, like we found with Hopely, you kind of revert back to your normal state. True. Like a werewolf. Right. You'd have to essentially yeah. investigate every suicide Mm-hmm. and every odd death. Well, I mean, he's only a week behind. Of yes. course, that yeah. is, I'm also assuming that Tada's, t- Teddy, 
is just cursing people in every freaking yeah, town. I know. I, I had to remind myself that his daughter was yeah. killed, and that's yes. why. Because it, it, it's a powerful it almost magic, would make so. sense because <laughs> these people are treated Terribly, horribly yeah. in every town they go. So uh, maybe I was just <laughs> projecting my... I, I definitely was. Yeah, I'd yeah. just be like, and you're fucking cursed. <laughs> yeah. Fuck you. Everybody's Fuck cursed. you. <laughs> So anyway, what he gets out of Lon is that he's not sure exactly where they went, but he knows that they were headed north on Route 1, which would take them toward Rockland. And we find out a little later that at this point when he has this conversation, he's about three weeks behind the family. Oh, if I may, something weird happened in the scene, the very like last scene from part one. Mm -hmm. He's talking to the waitress and she's talking about, you know, where he might go. Bar Harbor, where all of this ends up, is the mm-hmm. first place she mentions. I, I thought about that and I went back and reread it because I'm like, wait a minute, why did he go to all these other places? Yeah. If that wasn't that the place she told him? Yeah, she was like, that's the biggest but, place. But she she actually suggested to him that he go to Old Orchard because oh. I had that same thought. Yeah, it the way it was mentioned, it makes sense why he would start at Old Orchard. Yeah, yeah. This this segment. It starts off very cool. Uh, I like the very first town he goes to. It's very atmospheric. But then he just does the same thing <laughs> like a dozen times across this chapter. And it'd be like he's three days closer to where they were. The update on how close he was was the most exciting part be- ex- <laughs> after this in this whole 20 page chapter. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it gets a little tedious. And it made me think. Uh, this is one of my thoughts about other our other books. Is it specifically, I don't think it is, specifically uh, Bachman books. I think it is King. How many King books are just book-long road trips? <laughs> um, A lot. I mean, The yep. Talisman. The Long Walk. The Long Walk. <laughs> well, All no. of the Dark Tower books, uh, which are essentially just one long walk. This gave me such running man vibes yeah because it's him traveling and uh basically reverse running man hunting these people down i feel that yeah for sure real quick i just want to mention because this is important eventually but billy calls home to tell heidi that he's making progress but she's not there he ends up talking to linda and like later i realized it's like a paragraph i was like why (laughs) (laughs) but i i think it's just helping to establish that he does hate his wife, but the one thing, the one person he cares about is Linda. Yeah. So we'll, we'll get to that later. But yeah, 20 pages of him going town to town, stopping at like every third gas station or general store on the way to check in and see if anybody's seen them, make sure he's on the right path. And the things of note that happen in this chapter, and if you guys have anything else you, you want to add, you can. But one thing is that he calls his law firm, realizes immediately or thinks immediately that the phone is tapped because he hears this double click. And I felt like at this point, that's when he's becoming really emotionally unstable because of like all the the changes his body is going through. And that's going to affect your mental health as well. It's a weird way to in this like one chapter between calling home and then calling work, they push everyone. They sever all of his connections to everyone but Mm -hmm. Janelle. Mm -hmm. The other thing that was interesting about this chapter was his interaction with realtor Frank quickly <laughs> and uh he has a fantastic murder fantasy about this guy <laughs> if i ever met a man named biff i would want to beat him to death with a bronzed turd 
<laughs> that's really that you what you said is real that's yeah, that's exactly exactly i had to think about that happened. a moment I'm like yeah that's accurate this this character is just well he's just the realtor from salem's lot yes uh, but compressed yes. into one scene <laughs> Didn't mention anybody's Jehovah's, so. That's true. But I I did like that part between them, because I didn't see it coming. He's like, hey, it's going to cost you $200, but not for this information about the Lemkeys. I'll give you that for free. It's what I don't tell the others. And Billy's Mm -hmm. like, huh? (laughs) It's what I won't tell your wife. Like, the guy's an extortionist. Yeah, they've already made contact with him, which I thought was cool, because I didn't realize how close they were. They were closing in on Billy. It just made me think, why not? He was clearly willing to pay for the information. Why not just be like, oh, all right, you can just pay me that $200 for the information. I don't need to go through this whole other stuff. <laughs> I, I love, though, I just want to read part of how he describes his fantasy. Not the, yes, I mean, you, you recapped it, but <laughs> afterwards, you know, he fantasizes about killing him and the guy can see it on his face and he starts to get like, oh, shit, seeming like he's going to reach for the intercom or a gun or both. Billy calms down and he says... He had just visualized beating the man's brains out, not in any vague way, in the mental equivalent of Technicolor and Dolby sound. And good old Biff had known he was doing it. Too. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I, I love the line at the end as he's leaving. He uh, is at this part where he forces himself to turn around. And I believe the quote, and this is off the top of my head. So, but the quote is something along the lines of, I had to leave before I leapt at him and my hands used some terrible secret language they knew or something like that. It's like, that's a fucking (laughs) badass way to say, I want to beat the shit out of this guy. (laughs) (laughs) All of these interactions that he's having that, that we get, along this journey it it always ends with someone like okay man can you just go because i i can't even be near you anymore you are too unsettling and he's like mm-hmm. yeah i i get it and <laughs> i don't want to be around you either and it's like that just it ends that way every time it's kind of sad except billy's a prick so <laughs> <laughs> he finally ends up in bar harbor and they're they're not in the town proper the lemke family anymore they've been given the boot by the local cops already but they are on the outskirts of town and Billy's pretty sure that Lemke knows he's there and he's waiting for them. And that's why they haven't moved on yet. And so he finally arrives at their camp and no one is surprised to see him there or surprised by how he looks. Can we talk about the initial, just the first confrontation between him and Gina? This is (laughs) one of uh, my favorite scenes just because of the, he's like kind of sneaking up on the camp and you think he's going to like, I, I don't know. That like he's he gonna has a like, plan. Yeah. Like he has a <laughs> plan or that he's going to try and like move because it's all these people sitting around a big campfire. Their camp is set up in these concentric circles, kind of like a cemetery we read about once. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I thought he was going to try and find Teddy to talk to him. But then it says like one of the, the dogs, because they have all these dogs around the camp turns to look at him and he's just standing in the ring of their campfire. Yeah. (laughs) And the thought of just like all these people turning and seeing this skeletal grinning man in a suit, just standing looming over them is such an unsettling. It's so much more menacing than 
anything mm-hmm. the Romani do in the entire book. And them not being surprised by any of this mm. kind of does support that maybe Lemke has cursed a lot more people for less than killing a family member. Mm. I mean, he's 106. He's had some cursing time well, in but, his life. Well, but they're not 106. That's true. Also, I don't think he's 106. I think he is much, much, much yeah. older. You know, he's like a Rainbird character to me. Sort of that mysterious. Like you'd read a prequel book about just yeah. his life to see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I feel that. Like there, there's this power in him that he should not have. God, I would love a series of King books where it's just the villains. <laughs> yeah, it's that just would be the awesome. villains backstories. Cause we've talked about that a number of times. Rainbird, Barlow. We mm-hmm. want just a Barlow book yep. of him running around <laughs> being a vampire. And then we have a team up movie where we bring them all together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where we're forming a team. <laughs> the Injustice League. <laughs> uh, That's a thing, though. It is. Oh, that is a thing. Damn it. Okay. <laughs> Uh, Josh, you want to talk about his conversation with Gina? Um, (laughs) The note that I wrote is Gino walks up to him, spits in his face, and he'd still fuck her. I. (sighs) (laughs) They're like, Gina is a lot of characters. It's very easy to imagine how they look. But I find it sometimes difficult when they have characters like Gina, who is just. She's always just described, she's almost described as an eldritch horror of beauty. (laughs) 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 Like, that everyone's just like, she looks, she's perfect. She looks the most beautiful. She looks the best. Fair. Yeah. (laughs) Which is funny because it's almost like she's almost one of those characters where that's all she is she's just there to be hot oh, and that definitely yeah. <laughs> and like rep- yeah you expect her to just be like oh this is just she has to be there to represent mm-hmm. his like longing to be you know to to run away to make him and- more of a pig yeah exactly <laughs> but then the- every scene she is in past every time you see her she is more feral and mm-hmm. fucking kick ass. Yeah, she is. She is the coolest villain in this book. <laughs> but she calls him a monster and basically says that uh, she hopes she gets to see him rot and fall to pieces. That is funny. I Gina might be the only not villain in. Uh, yeah. Well, well, no. well, yeah, she does murder a few people. Now that I'm thinking about and it, that's probably I was not the say, first time. Because yeah. <laughs> Because uh, I was going to say, yeah, her and Linda are the only innocents in this book. <laughs> okay, Linda's but, uh, the only innocent. Yes, Linda is the only innocent in this book. Ooh, you guys. Okay, the now he has a confrontation with Lemke. What did you guys think of this exchange between these two, finally, that we've been building up for like 18 chapters? <laughs> <laughs> Not at all what I thought it would be. He kind of did his plan. He kind of did his... He tweaked it a little bit. Yeah, he kind of did his first plan more than the second plan. Do, do you want to describe what he pitches Lemke? Yeah, um, he basically... Lemke tells him that, you know, they don't have any further business. What's done is done. You, this is how you die. Mm-hmm. See you later. And he brings up his own daughter and that tattoos is killing him and taking him away from his daughter the same way he inadvertently took uh, his daughter from him. And Hey man, I think 
Susanna took herself from her family when she <laughs> chose to <laughs> jaywalk <laughs> and get hit by a car. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it poses the, the very serious question of how much killing does it take for revenge? When does the cycle of violence stop? If you take uh, one from me, I take one from you. You take two from me, I take three from you. Like, where does it end? Yeah, he's trying to appeal to him by saying, we are causing a generational problem if you don't take this curse off of me. Or, you know, I'll just give you guys my daughter Linda's address, and then she and Gina can meet up one day and shoot each other in the face. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay. He's trying to he's trying for a plea bargain, I think, is what's happening. <laughs> it's, it's a push. Yeah, we're both guilty people here. Yeah, a push. Yeah, let's talk about the push, because th- that's an interesting thing that keeps... stays with us during this impassioned plea of hey yeah i killed your daughter but come on we're even (laughs) (laughs) you made me lose weight (laughs) yeah that is that is his like argument is like my life can never be the same because of this even if i go back to if you take the curse off i'm never going to be able to go back to the way I was. Which, for the record, was him realizing that his life was kind of like empty and shallow yeah, before. So it's, arguably, if he the curse would be is lifted, off. yeah, his yeah. life will have improved. Yeah, in, in a in a family movie, this is the moment <laughs> where he learns that he needs to focus on his kids and family yeah. rather than work all And he day. turns down the big promotion. Yeah. Right. He's yeah. a bad lawyer. <laughs> you cannot yeah. argue well. So he says, so take it off this is a push. I killed your daughter. You inconvenienced me. <laughs> We're even. And Ted is flips the fuck out rightfully right. saying, uh, no, that's not how any of this works. No push. There is no push. There will never be a push. And he's right. Yeah. And he also, we find out that he knows exactly what was happening in that car. And I, th- I wrote this down because I thought it was interesting because this whole time Billy is blaming Heidi. And he's like, well, if he knew what you were doing, you would have your own curse. And he didn't, so you don't. And he's mad at her because she's not taking any part of this, willingly or unwillingly. I I just thought that was cool because it it further illustrates that Billy is bad. Yeah. He, He sucks because even the guy whose daughter he killed is not blaming Heidi. Mm -hmm. Yet he's harboring all this hatred for her. Yeah, because obviously, like, no one's going to blame the person that wasn't driving. Like, any woman who holds a dick in her hand should be given an award. (laughs) (laughs) That's what that trophy behind you is. Yes. Okay, so (laughs) I I can't even. I thought it was just a hand holding a roll of quarters. (laughs) Good night, everybody. So they're wrapping up their their little meeting together and they're arguing and Lumpke's like, I could make this even worse for you. And Billy's like, fuck around and find out. (laughs) I don't I don't actually think that you can. And I really liked this point that he had because he points out, I think that this curse is like an agreement between us, you know, whether or not we're both entirely aware of it, because he had blame for running over Susanna. He had blame for that first curse. But Lemke can't curse him again without him doing something to be a participant in this agreement. I took it as that. That's interesting. I took it as uh, you can't curse me because we both played a role in the, and meaning his role was knowing that he did have fault in it. And now he's kind of 
past accepting blame for anything. The rest of this book is him saying, none of this is my fault. He he slowly just passes off all blame. And so I, I read it as like, you can't curse me because I have to feel bad. <laughs> See, I, I have to feel bad about something for the curse to take hold. I, I read it as the, you know, because I, I think about curses like you're taking energy from something. So something has to justify taking that energy to place this curse on. So if he if he did something egregious against them again, then he might be able to, I don't want to say yeah. accept, but they're describing it as an agreement. So kind of, yeah, accept this curse. Yeah. Man, my interpretation is way dumber. Oh. <laughs> I just thought he was like, can't double curse someone. <laughs> like, yeah, like, that's the rules. Cause like, that have been established. <laughs> I don't know why, but in my brain, I was like, yeah, you can't curse me with, uh, you already cursed me with thinner. You can't give me another curse. I've already got one. Yeah. Double jeopardy. <laughs> no, it, it would just, geez. it would just like slide off him in my opinion, because he hasn't done anything. I that makes know. sense. So despite his excellent sweet talk, Lemke refuses to take it off. And Gina <laughs> comes back and wraps things up in a nice little bow. Yeah. The Sam and another Romani are dragging him away and he's like his throwing his hands up and he's still throwing a fit. Chini just pops around the corner, puts a ball bearing in her slingshot and fires a hole straight through his hand. And so good. He goes down in this next scene. If I didn't hate him so much, if he wasn't such a piece of shit, I would have been rooting for him because it is <laughs> it's really badass because he he painstakingly pulls himself up because when he hits the ground, there is nothing there to break his fall. Mm -hmm. He's like bones and skin. Yeah, what is he down to now at this point in the book? Like one twenty or something? something like that. Yeah, and and so he gets up and he confronts Lumpy again, and he lays down his own curse, the curse of the white man from town. Yeah, this sucks. It's <laughs> it's, the, it's also the lamest it's, title. For well, a curse. it's a curse that somehow has has been given life and come outside of this book, and we're still. Dealing with it. Yeah, I was going to say, it's it's not so much a curse as he curses him with white supremacy. Like, oh, no, that's yeah. what it is. Like, this is, they're already cursed by the curse of the white man from town. He just makes it worse. Interesting. So, I guess my thought was that, because nobody knows how this works, Everybody we've talked to has a different opinion about how it works. Why does it work? All this stuff. And to me, if Billy is going on the basis of you have to believe curses have power for curses to have power. He sure. knows they believe in curses. So he's hoping it, even though he lacks any sort of magical power, mm -hmm. that the threat of a curse mm -hmm. will intimidate them and make them want to step back. Well, yes, in the world of the book, I do believe it is meant as a literal curse. Because during their con confrontation, there's this cool moment when, when Lemke is saying, fuck you, I'll never take it off. He does this thing where he holds his hand out yeah! in a fist and squeezes and blood falls out of his empty hand. Which is <laughs> badass. And Billy feels his insides crunch together. Yeah. And Fucking so cool. at this point, Billy has been shot through the hand. So he has blood pouring down his hand. And he does the same action mm -hmm. towards 
Lemke in a, uh, like, I'm trying to think of another, because this is also a very King thing, of just, like, doing something because there seems, like, magic there, mm-hmm. you know? That's like the white. Yes, kind of, except yeah. the not. <laughs> right. Uh, the, no, the white. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's... Yeah. A shitty old white man. Uh, but he he holds his hand out and squeezes and blood falls out. And Lemke freaks out because he's like, oh, this is, he's. There's power in that. Yeah, there's power mm-hmm. in that. But <laughs> when you really think about just the phrase, the curse of the white man from town, it's like, come on. <laughs> the white man from town is already winning and it sucks. Which that conversation comes back around later. It doesn't even involve him. Yeah. Ultimately, this this scene, I don't know, you guys, I'm not rooting for Billy, and I don't know that I ever was in this right. entire book start yeah. to finish. But you know who I kind of do root for, despite myself? Is it Janelli? Janelli, yeah. yeah. And I called him Janelli last time, and I'm going to go with Janelli just so I can hit all of the, you know. Yeah. Just, yeah. <laughs> Cover all your bases? <laughs> yeah, so he finally, in chapter 20, he's making the call. He's down to 118 pounds at this point. This is shortly Fuck. after this confrontation he goes to the hotel room he's and i had to remind myself i'm like wait a minute 118 hmm, that sounds okay he's six, six two two yeah I, so that's really really bad i i didn't think about that the the first time i read this book i did not think about that because okay the premise of this book obviously is dumb <laughs> right <laughs> like try to explain i who was i i was talking to one of my friends and like explaining that I had to go read for the podcast and they asked, what are you reading? And I told them they hadn't heard of it. Try explaining this book to someone that's never heard of it. It sounds stupid. It's a guy gets cursed and he loses weight forever. Yeah. No matter what. And you're like, how can that carry a whole book? But when you think of a six foot two man weighing 120 Mm -hmm. pounds, I can't even imagine how upsetting that would look. Yeah. He would look like the pale man from Pan's Labyrinth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, ugh. I think about the giant from Twin Peaks. Yeah. That's what I envision a lot, but scarier, if that's possible. <laughs> so he calls Janelli and he tells him he's hurt and he needs help. And Janelli sends an associate, Fander, to fix him up. And that's a fun visit. This guy is just a ray of sunshine. <laughs> he did get woken up at three in the morning to yeah, get on a but plane. I bet he got paid. Yeah, a but lot he got paid super well. <laughs> yeah, I, I like this because it shows how fucking powerful Janelli is. Yeah, that he uh, Billy just calls him in the middle of the night because he's he's been sitting in his car with his hand trying to ignore it until a reasonable hour, but he gets to a point where he's like, I'm dying it hurts so much please send someone and he's just like yep they'll be there soon and he sends just some random dude on a private jet at 3 a.m this guy's got reach Nelly's awesome so he bandages him up and he's like you need to have some potassium because you are going to have heart problems and i shouldn't even be giving you pain medication you should barely be taking baby ass you know what just lick this tablet don't even <laughs> swallow it just lick it and put it down i was frustrated at this part because as he's leaving he's telling him whatever hunger strike you're on you need to give it up like dude 
people get sick and mm-hmm. to just assume that they're purposefully starving themselves is really shitty. So that I that was just annoying. Anyway. That that is shitty. And then Billy immediately takes three pills. Yeah. <laughs> so I also it, I the heart problems never occurred to me. Like I never mm-hmm. I was so focused on the, you know, he gets so thin that what happens. And my brain was not thinking, oh yeah, just organ failure and stuff. Yeah. So that just started throwing me for a loop. So Janelli arrives a few hours later and he has Billy tell him this whole story. What did you guys think of their reunion? I loved it. I love that Janelli comes in and he's like, got a, a bottle of Chivas Regal and he's like, <laughs> let's do some shots and you tell me about also stuff. Also good for your heart. Yeah. <laughs> and like one single shot to a six foot two person <laughs> that weighs 120 pounds. <laughs> you beat Tore up immediately. He would have just gone to sleep. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But I like that he takes the shot and then he has to go to the bathroom to hide that he's crying. I really thought he was going to go throw it up immediately. (laughs) He is so touched by everything Janelli does because he he believes every word. Mm -hmm. And Billy was worried about that because initially when they'd had a conversation a few weeks ago, he had asked him, do you believe in, you know, things like curses? And he's like, I only believe in what I see. And he brings that back up and he's like... Yeah, I believe in what I see. So when I see something that cannot be explained, I have to recognize that it's something crazy. And that's what's kept him a successful mobster or whatever. (laughs) Janelli is such a kick-ass character. We've complained so much throughout the podcast about characters who are like presented with crazy shit and then are like, I don't know. And it's like it just happened in front of you. (laughs) <laughs> and Janelli to just be like, you're real thin. Let's go kill a wizard. <laughs> uh, I Janelli, from this point till we're done with Janelli, is just seems to be having the best time. He's loving it. Any clue, Josh, and sorry, Ben, you and I have read this, so it's going to be for you. Any clue how important this conversation would be later? No, not at all. Yeah. It's almost like a throw. It's like it feels like just the book's way of explaining why he would help him that Mm -hmm. he believes in. But no, it is deeper than that. So something else important about Janelli, Billy sees pretty quickly on during this process, this swirling, twinkling madness in his eyes. And it never really goes away. And later he comes to realize that he has set something loose, like he really has unleashed a curse that he could not take back if he wanted to. And and it's kind of surprising because he's been such a kind of piece of crap. He doesn't want him to hurt anyone. And Janelli's mm-hmm. kind of playing along with it. He's like, <laughs> I, I won't until I decide that doesn't work for me anymore. Yeah. <laughs> he's a mobster. What do you want to do? And I mean, God forbid Billy be a hypocrite. <laughs> he did just say the cycle of violence should end. Billy's really naive about Janelli and what he mm-hmm. is capable of and what he does. Um, I also want to mention, too, this whole time we get occasional reminders that Billy still really hates Heidi for daring to give him a handy in the car. Also very important later. Yeah. Just every time that Heidi comes up, there's more just like bile towards her. Yeah. If we mentioned every instance of that, (laughs) it would be an extra five minutes. discussion. Yeah. Two other important things that happened that I was kind of wondering, Josh, if you'd noticed this was it remarkable to you at all when they were talking about how they can't kill Lemke because 
the curse would probably just run its course. And the problem is that you can't take back a hit, even though it's basically what they're trying to do, get him to take it back. But and, and Janelli's like, he says hmm. that, but he's like, I need to think on this more. He's totally right. As we come to find out, he doesn't take it back necessarily. <laughs> <laughs> I, I assumed that when, as soon as they brought it up, I was like, yeah, probably. I mean, that would be a really shitty curse. Let's just say he just died from being a million years old and then the curse is over. That, that'd suck. If you're going to make a curse, you're going to make it stick. I had never made that connection that that line, you can't take back a curse mm-hmm. or you can't take back a hit. Yeah. Rather. yeah. I never made that connection that that was like foreshadowing, also, <laughs> for, also telling of what Lemke had done. It's, it's kind of like very unself-aware uh, <laughs> where he's like, you can't take back a hit. Oh, Lemke put out a hit on you with magic. Uh, this is a lost cause. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, the, and it's also near this other scene, which becomes significant later, is Billy's, I can't remember if it's like a dream or a vision of the mm-hmm. pie that we mentioned in the first episode. Janelli is like, I'm going to go take care of some stuff. I'll be back eventually. Don't worry about it. And uh, Billy just passes out. And has this, what he says is a dream, but feels like a vision. Mm-hmm. In this vision, he is in his home, sitting at the kitchen table with Heidi, with a pie in front of him. And he pushes it towards her and says, no, I want you to have it. I've decided I like being thin. And that's it. Yeah. Ugh. And you're like, oh, that's weird. <laughs> until. Yeah. Until the end. <laughs> Wait, isn't this the, also the dream where... Tattoo's bird rips off his daughter's scalp, or is that later? I think that's later. Oh, that's later. Oh, yeah. There are a lot is, of good dreams. Hang <laughs> rides a dream sequence like no other. So over the next few days, Billy is so weak. He's starting to have these heart problems. And he's basically just like sleeping and eating or <laughs> drinking <laughs> when Janelli's around. And Janelli's coming in and out, doing his thing. And, and Billy's asking, and he's like, let you know, just let me take care of some things, and then I promise I'll I'll bring you up to speed. I'll tell you everything. I thought this was awesome, though, the way that the rest of this book is set up, because we get all of this just from Billy's perspective, kind of coming in and out of consciousness. So we don't really know what's happening. And then when Janelli finally sits down and tells him the whole story, we're still getting that through Billy's eyes. But then we cut to Janelli's POV here and there. Can I summarize how disjointing uh, what how Billy experiences this? Yeah. So he goes to sleep. He wakes up to Janelli walking in covered in mud. And he's like, what happened? Don't worry about it. Leaves. <laughs> wakes up the next time to Janelli coming in. Pack everything. We need to go 15 miles down the road. <laughs> then I leaves for 48 hours. Then he comes back with a deep gash on his forehead and his arm torn open. And he's like, we got it. <laughs> it is <laughs> it's so a really cool sequence. I think I did not like this sequence the first time because it seems just like you're waiting for so long, but it gives you the feeling of that Billy is feeling yeah. of like the impatience that he must be feeling to be like, what's going on out there? I bet it's cool. <laughs> and then once he finally finishes everything, it's so surprising that it's like, okay, the job's done. You're meeting him tonight in a few hours. It's a really cool way of making the suspense 
suspense. Wow. Good. Suspense is suspenseful. Suspense is playing is for enjoyment. All right, let's talk about Janelli's three curses. The first one is the dogs. Sorry, you just, his three curses and he cursed three people and it made my brain explode for a minute. (laughs) I didn't, didn't see that. (laughs) Hold on. (laughs) Hold on. So, okay. Yeah. So Lemke cursed Billy. Carrie Carrie and Hopely. Hopely. Janelli curses the dogs, Samuel and Gina. He has three. Is there hit. anything there? He has it's, three. Is yeah. this anything? Well, he has three hits, and and that's how I initially referred to him. I'm like, no, these are his mm-hmm. curses. I I have dogs, guns, Gina. Yeah, that's yeah. He does three. I don't want to say remarkable. They're fun to read about, but they're terrible for the Lemkeys, and yeah. they don't deserve it. But anyway, better for the dogs. Oh my god, this Janelli has some stake, and it's not what you think it is. If you're me and praying, it's not what you think it is. He has learned, um, as we know, of course, about these dog fights. And so the first curse, the first thing that he does, Janelli, is he goes to the camp. It's a really cool scene where he's like being stealthy. And he's the way he's telling Billy about this adventure is really neat. But he basically poisons the dogs. And he's commenting that it was a better end for them because they're kept drugged up because they're made to be so fi- so vicious that if they're not kind of dopey all the time when they're not fighting mm-hmm. they'll kill each other or they'll kill themselves trying to get away from whichever one is killing them so just terrible animal cruelty especially coming this immediately after leaving billy the first time and being like no one gets hurt it was literally the last <laughs> thing he says yeah. before he leaves Billy's and immediately kills a dozen dogs. But to be fair, the his uh, heroin and strychnine steak and them already being drugged up made them like doze off and just go very fast. And he reminds Billy this is a much more peaceful end than they would have had. And if you're thinking that the Lemkeys maybe are the good guys, this makes that a complicated feeling. Yeah. The next thing that he does is... Okay, I don't know anything about guns. <laughs> he takes these really cool guns, these automatic <laughs> the, rifles. It's a Kalishnikov, it's a, they it's say? A, yeah, it's an AK-47. Yeah. what I said. It's an assault rifle. Okay. And he shoots up the entire camp. But he, he doesn't hit anybody that we know of. I don't even know if he would know if he hit somebody. <laughs> but this scene was really cool, too, because he's he's shooting low. He's just taking out their tires and everything. Also serves the purpose of keeping them there because he wants... He wants to torment them so much that they want to run, but they mm-hmm. he also wants to make sure they can't run. Yeah, yeah, because after the dogs, they've they he says they've gone to ground, that they move camp, and their first camp was where the locals could find them. But this is off the beaten path, deep in the woods. They're trying to disappear, and this solves that problem. And two cool things happen when he's because he has a run-in with Samuel, and then mm-hmm. just his observation of what Lemke does when he's firing on them is cool. You guys want to talk about that? He he finds Samuel uh, standing guard <laughs> kind with <of>. a Walkman <laughs> in. So he just knocks him out and tapes him to a tree, which is fantastic. He just like it's 
action movie stuff. It yeah. just it infiltrating this uh camp. Just very describing cool. it doesn't do it justice. Yeah, it, it's it's very a very cool sequence. And as he's just lighting up this camp, he blows the tires out from the main camper that mm-hmm. he knows uh Teddy's in. They all pour out to see what's going on. He just fires a line across the top of their heads, not to hit anyone, but just to scatter them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then he just unloads an entire <laughs> clip into the front of this old shitty station wagon or that something. That nobody's in. <laughs> that nobody, that he thinks. Yeah. As far as he know, is no one is in. But he just unloads it into the engine block. I'm like, well, yeah, that'll... <laughs> And the whole time... That'll keep them where they are. Yeah. The whole time, Lemke, because he comes out to see what's going on, and he's telling everybody, take cover, you idiots, Mm -hmm. because they're all just running around like crazy, and dude is not phased. Nope. And Janelle's like, hmm, respect. (laughs) And the second he comes around the side of the camper, he immediately looks into the woods, and Janelle thinks, immediately looks exactly where Mm -hmm. he is. Yeah. And he is in the shadows. He has like lamp black. Lamp he has black lamp black all over his, his face. face. So he is in complete darkness. There's no way this old man could see him from that distance with no moon. But he is positive he's looking at him dead in his eyes. So he takes off and gives Samuel a message to give to Lemke. I really like this exchange. Yeah. He pulls the tape off of Sam's mouth and he's like, they're out here. If you yell, they're going to find you. I'm not going to kill you. <laughs> I'm not a monster. <laughs> and he says, he tells him to to give the message to take off the curse. And Sam's like, he's not going to do it. There's no way. Even if, even if I told him, the man's heart is made of brick. He is never going to do it. And Janelle goes, well, remind him that bricks can be crushed into dust. Yeah. And I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> Well, and he's like, you, you, all you have to do is deliver the message. Yeah. So like your job is done. I don't care mm-hmm. what you think he'll do with it. You just deliver it. He's very practical. And I, I like that in a villain. Yeah. And the fact that he actually does follow. He has a code. It is the the fact that he doesn't do any more damage than he needs to, to mm-hmm. freak them out. Yeah. Because he, he easily could have just beaten the absolute shit out of samuel to send a message Mm -hmm. and he doesn't to make our main character to make you hate him more than an actual like mob boss bad guy (laughs) is brilliant it kind (laughs) of (laughs) is so the next night because this the purpose for this too was they're not so far away that the whole town did not hear this amazing gunfire. So now the cops are involved. And this sets up a really good cover for Janelle to come back the next day. He is posing as an FBI agent. When he's telling Billy the story later, he he shows him his ID. And he's like, oh, my God, that looks real. And Janelle says, it is real, everything but the picture. And then Billy thinks about what happened yeah! to the real agent ah, star. <laughs> I love that moment. His target this time is Gina. So let's talk about, because they have, I want to see their face off later, and we don't. (laughs) (laughs) This is such a brilliant plan. The way things have fallen together, this is not Janelli reacting day by day. Janelli looked at all these pieces and set all of this in motion for it to end this way. He shows up, pulls up in front of a bunch of other cops, flashes the badge, gets through, then picks... 
arbitrarily somebody to start interviewing and puts the pressure on them to point out Gina goes to Gina. We find out that she's studying what? What is she going to school for? Yeah. She's like taking college courses Mm -hmm. and she's just doing that. Yeah. She's a full, well-rounded person. She's she's humanized. Dope. (laughs) A little bit. (laughs) And he knows exactly what to do. He's saying, you know, I'm investigating the shooting. Does the name William Halleck mean anything to you? And that's when she gets tunnel vision. And he's like, I'm here. I have an arrest warrant. We can take him down right now. If you can come with me and identify him. I have these photos. Come with me to my car. We can identify him. And she doesn't even think for a second. Why didn't he have them with him? Why are they in his car? Until she's at his car. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and when she pieces it all together, he is in advance taking a mason jar and poured Pepsi into it. And he's like. Good luck shooting a slingshot with no fucking eyes. It's acid and throws it in her face. Did he say? (laughs) Yeah, he does. He goes, hey, this is acid. Yeah. Ah." I I feel like you don't need to say that, though. If someone threw something in my face, I am just always going to assume it's acid. (laughs) And the fact that it's Pepsi. You're so so much fun at water balloon fights. (laughs) (laughs) but it is very funny that it's pepsi so it's kind of tingly and burning yeah. that, that's funny and she drops to the ground and she's holding her eyes and just at the moment when she realizes i'm not burning to death he steps on her neck Ooh. And I, I like, too, that he almost underestimates her at every turn. He's yeah. like, mm-hmm. I, I just in time, like, barely realized what she was about to do. And I, I was able to circumvent that. He's just such a cool character because not only does he have a guy for everything, he he put all this stuff together. He has, you know, people flying in and out to give him things, to take his rental cars. He hires a dude off the street mm-hmm. to tail them. That guy we didn't even talk about that. that <laughs> gets, he gets shot in the head. Yeah, he gets too close and they realize that he's following them. And Janelle finds him at like a, a gas station in a, a, the abandoned rental car with a hole in his head and a dead chicken in his lap and, and chicken blood written across his forehead, the word pig. Yes. And then he buries no, the it's guy. No, it's never. Oh, I, I thought pig was somewhere. Pig is later. Okay. Then pig he, is on his head. Oh, okay. Spoilers. Spoilers. Then he then he buries the guy, and he's he's just been going and going and going. So he hasn't yeah. had any sleep. He's he buries him with his keys in his pocket <laughs> and has the to car. go back for them. <laughs> well, not to get rid of the car because he has a guy come hotwire it and, yeah. and drop it off at an airport. But, but he has he, to return the keys. <laughs> yeah. Well, and he doesn't if they yeah. find the body because he didn't bury it very well. Then they're going to be able to tie the keys to him. Yeah, it's just he he had to go through like there were mistakes mm-hmm. and things he had to deal with. He's had a rough few days. <laughs> yeah, but he deals with them. He's he's yeah. very competent. And also during this this confrontation with Gina, where you're right, he it it is an equal fight. I yeah. would say because she is just like this is what I said. She's feral at this point. She is just attacking and attacking and attacking. It was her mom. Yeah. The conversation that Janelli and Gina have in the car as he's driving her, like they're driving a distance away before he lets her out so she can go yeah, back. Yeah, the way that mm-hmm. ends is awesome. That Because he's made it very clear, you know, I, I'm, I'm not killing you as a choice. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I'm actively choosing not to kill any of you, but you guys did a bad thing. And then she's like, well, he did a bad thing, so he's being punished. And he's like, well, now you're being punished. 
and it's the the conversation of whose side is God on mm-hmm. and like that the fact that she is digesting that he Janelli is this curse that he has put on them like how if what they did to Billy is justice how is Janelli coming after them mm-hmm. something God is allowing to happen no this is once again this is the white supremacy coming through because yeah you're you're right it's the way people of color are treated where they're they only did what they did to for self-defense well not self-defense because it was after the fact but it was like kind of justified because they've been treated so poorly and for billy to treat what is done to him as equal to what janelli threatens to do to these people not the same and she's just bawling the whole time it's kind of really heartbreaking because we're i feel like the book is kind of leading us to believe that if justice had been served even by the legal system maybe not necessarily the way the family would serve justice Mm -hmm. but if that had been done billy wouldn't have been cursed yeah and i think that's uh i semi was on the right page when you asked me last episode what i thought we were going to see next i talked Mm -hmm. about humanizing the romani a little bit and it wasn't happening and then this scene happened Mm -hmm. and i was like i'm really glad we got This moment, because these are two people who are very deep into the shit show that's happening, but neither one of them are the most affected party. Mm -hmm. And so it's just really interesting to see these two people who are essentially the uh, the enforcers of their respective groups Mm. have this conversation. The probably the two most physically violent people from each camp having this emotional spiritual conversation is so crazy and i'm so glad we got it and despite what they could potentially have in common just sharing those characteristics it ends with i can't remember exactly how he says it he says it very eloquently but him basically saying you know what get out of the car we can't talk to each other we can't even understand each other because they just keep arguing in circles with one another yeah we can't talk to each. we can't talk we're not even hearing each other yeah and she's like yeah you're right so he ends this crazy tale with the news that Billy is meeting Lemke that night at 7 p.m. Janelli takes Billy to the park and he tells him, hey, I'm going to be nearby watching. I'm sure their people are too. And, you know, I'll be close enough that I can keep an eye on things and keep an eye on you. So Billy walks down to a, a shady park bench. and With sits, his bag full of oranges. With his ba- Oh, because he's <laughs> he's having a lot of heart issues. Yeah. So he's been eating oranges and potassium. Like, Getting, trying to get potassium yeah. to keep himself going. Because he has severe heart arrhythmia, which is scary. Even knowing, because I've read this before, how it ends, I was still anxious. Like, is he going to make it? Like, <laughs> <laughs> the, the moment I want to point out is because we are coming to the finish line here. Billy has learned every lesson he is going to learn, presumably. <laughs> I, <was> gonna... <laughs> I think he's unlearned I, several yeah. lessons at uh, this uh, point. If, okay, following traditional narrative, yeah. our <laughs> main character should be at the end of learning what they're here to learn. Mm-hmm. And I just want to read the last thought he has before he uh, falls asleep on the bench. We need the gypsies. We always have. Because if you don't have someone to run out of town once in a while... How are you going to know you yourself belong there? And I was like, well, I had a little <laughs> bit of hope 
Billy. I had a little bit of hope that you were going to take something away from this. The, the fact that that's his takeaway, I understand that he is in a weird way starting to see himself as more, more quote unquote gypsy than the man he, st- the white man from town he started as. Cultural appropriation yeah, which much. <laughs> th- there's no evidence to back that up besides him being like, I'm the hero of my uh, story. No, I'm a gypsy too. It sucks. <laughs> Because it's what uh, him turning into more and more like them. He he makes that statement after this next part that happens where he says that all of his emotions have fallen away. He's a empty husk. And that's the moment where the book is like he's more like them than the people of Fairview. Well, that's just saying that he thinks all of the Romani are evil. Yep. He's learned nothing. Learned absolutely nothing. And he only has like two barely moments of regret and grief over what he did. Two moments where he's like, well, you know, I I did kill this woman and that's awful. It's just so painfully brief. Yeah. And he never again returns to that or decides like, oh, maybe I do actually deserve what's happening to me. I deserve something, some form yeah. of justice. I, there the, was a debt that I mm-hmm. did not pay, and now I'm paying this one. Yeah, the the guilt he feels at the beginning of the book, which isn't the most, but uh, <laughs> the guilt he feels at the beginning of the book is gone. He mm-hmm. has, like I said earlier, he has completely given up all. He, he's so concentrated on it's everyone else's fault that he has lost sight that he was the fucking one that did this in the mm-hmm. first place. This is where he has that that other dream. This is the dream where he is dreaming that he is laying on the ground and he is feeling the vulture eating him. Uh, all the dreams <laughs> And are... then wakes then, up yeah, to, to find it's uh, Lemke, Lemke poking, poking him. him. <laughs> they sit down in this park and Lemke's like, well, he, he's basically taunting him saying, you want to push? Okay, I'll give you a push. You, you believe in the push, here it is. And he presents to him a pie that he then fingers for a while. Oh, I don't like that you phrased it like that. It's true. Right? It's what he does. No, I literally did not think of the phrase fingering a pie at all while reading this. That's on okay. you guys. No. He <laughs> says he slits it open and then puts his fingers on the other side and like sli- slips it open and closed. Don't make that... <laughs> gesture <laughs> yeah that was unpleasant <laughs> i was the, I, I don't no, don't do it twice oh, no. sorry. i don't rule like, threes oh my god it, uh, be, listeners listeners be i did the uncle joey cut it out but i did it horizontally instead of vertically thanks for ruining pie and full house <laughs> and just the space that i'm in right yeah, now but uh he says okay um th- this curse it isn't he and describes the, it as being like a baby. It, it's it's an actual thing that yeah. I've been that has been given to you, and you have fed it. You can't you, get rid of a baby. Yeah, you, you have to give it to someone else if you want to get rid of it. <laughs> adoption, adoption. Yeah, he's gonna adopt out. Yeah, the curse. curse adoption. <laughs> but he he's like you can't just get rid of it. It's growing. It's living. It mm-hmm. is a living thing. So. What you have to do is put your curse in this pie and then feed it to someone. The first time I read through this, I was like, that's the dumbest shit I've <laughs> ever heard. What did what did you think, 
Josh. I want to know your opinions. So the the one thing that I was wrong about was I thought that the implication was now okay, you know, he stabs himself through the hand, bleeds into the pie. You have two weeks to give this to someone or else you'll get it double. That fun whole spiel. Mm. And so I imagined it was he was going to that at that moment. I knew he was going to drive home, tie his wife to the chair and force feed her an entire strawberry pie. That is what I assumed was going to happen. Because I, I I also thought that someone had when he said they have to eat the pies and you have to eat the whole pie or else. Mm. Yeah, nothing. It's an all or nothing feast or famine. But I was close. See, I, I'm i not a pie fan. So you would have to tie me to it. That's why I had to demonstrate how pies work. I Oh, yeah. Yeah, probably. Next time I do have to bake a pie, I'm going to finger it. Just, <laughs> just like Josh showed me. <laughs> this gets worse. Okay. Let's Ben is ashamed of, of all of us. Before Lemke leaves, he tells Billy basically that he what he should do is eat the pie himself and die strong, die with dignity, basically, mm-hmm. you know, having only the stain of Susanna's death on his heart. But Billy's hatred for Heidi has grown inside of him like a curse, like another baby. He can't unmake it. And so he's going to definitely give it to Heidi. Well, he says that uh, Billy recognizes he's like, OK, the push the, this push that we're even isn't I killed your daughter and you killed me or whatever. You mm-hmm. cursed me. That's the push. He says the push is now my wife for my daughter. Yeah. And that's. Which sucks, obviously. Yeah. A couple things. The last thing he says to him basically is be careful who eats the meal that was meant for you. I would like to posit that he knows full well mm-hmm. exactly what's going to happen. Yes, 100%. Obviously. And I, I just love that. Because. Yeah. so cool. The the other thing I wanted to ask you guys, because I know my answer, who would you give the pie to? Why would he not take it to a serial to killer? Houston? Yeah. Force feed it to Houston. The, well, a serial, where, where is he going to find a serial I, killer? Man, take I, it to... To, you know, crazy prison and, and have an interview. Crazy prison. Crazy prison. I don't want to say what I would do with it and have it on public record. So I'm not going to. Would declined, you feed it to a dog? I declined to answer. I What I would have done is I would have, before I knew what happened, I wrote down in my notes that my plan was to take the pie back to the car, get in there with Janelli and be like, Janelli. I got you this. I get like, no, not like feed it to Janelli, but be like, Janelli. Who's somebody you want to die? Like, you did me a favor. I'm going to give you the perfect hit. But I think he has to be the one. No, he can still deliver it. um, The curse is in there, though. I don't know. That would have been. Yeah, the rules are vague. You know what they say. The curse is in the pudding. He. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) This part I didn't see coming. Somehow. I I missed all the foreshadowing. (laughs) When Billy left the car, Janelli had made the comment that he's going to be on the lookout for everyone else, too, because if he does not see Gina coming before she sees him, that's it. He knows how dangerous she is. If she sees me coming before I see her, I won't have to change my shirt anymore, if you know what I mean. Which is it's a, a great, great phrase. So, Josh, what happens? Uh, you like Janelli so much, and I, Billy gets back God, to the car. Oh, okay, I'm going to go on a disrespect rant. He goes and he opens the door, and he's like, oh, Janelli's not in the... Oh, the, what's that on the passenger seat? Oh, it's Janelli's hand. Ah, shit. 
I'm gonna- he gave him a hand. <laughs> gave him a- <laughs> Uh, and so instead he like throws a newspaper on it and puts his pie on it and then takes the car and leaves, goes to McDonald's and throws away Janelli's hand in the trash can like a fuck it. That's show some respect. He should have given it a proper burial. Yes. Like said some words, put some flowers down. He should have taken that hand back to Janelli's people and been like, I know where the Romani who did this are. Well, set him thi- back out on him. two things, though. Hey, at this point, like I said, after he has the pie, after he has put this curse into the pie, he is not really human anymore. He is insane. He is he has lost his mind at this point. Well, I and think. he yeah, his his physical ailments have definitely affected his brain too. So part of what he's the way he's acting could in part be attributed to him having very little control over his emotions not complete i'm not trying to displace blame but yeah he's also even if he didn't want to <laughs> react the way he's reacting he'd probably struggle yeah um well the other thing i wanted to say was just it's dumb <laughs> to do that because okay he, he as he's like leaving he throws away janelli's hand and then goes and wipes down this rental car so his prints aren't all over the place like they are all over the place on the map that he wrapped Janelli's hand in and threw away. That's hilarious. Like, I did not even <laughs> consider that. Yeah. Right. So he makes his way back home. He convinces Heidi, Ham, hey, coming home, call off your dogs. I don't, it'll just complicate things if I'm trying to get back and they stop me. And just being super cold to her. Especially when they meet. It's that is a heartbreaking sad. scene. It is sad the way he treats her because she can tell. That he hates her. He's not even and trying to pretend. Yeah, he says that uh, he he thinks like, huh, this is funny, which it's not. Mm-mm. But it, he, he laughs to himself thinking uh, she has went the other way from taking no responsibility for what she did. How dare she to taking on all of the responsibility of everything that's happened. She, and it's so obvious that this whole thing has been tearing her apart. She even offers to quit smoking, which is, you know, they established as a big deal in their relationship. Mm-hmm. And he says, don't do that. You get fat when you quit smoking. So that made me so mad. She should have just changed the locks on the doors after that conversation been like, I'm just, I'm curious because she was like new hair, new clothes, had a bunch of new stuff. And I was like, what have you been doing? Okay, this is, and like I said, I've read this before. Did you think they were, because I. I thought he was going to like at the last minute. I forgot what happened. I thought it was, he was going to find out that she was having an. With Houston. Yeah. He was having an affair. I was 100% thinking that. I also thought that even though I've also read it. Yeah. But no, uh, not that we are, are made aware of. No, I. In retrospect, that was setting up how he figures out, you know, the bad news he gets the next morning. So anyway, he comes home. She's very sincerely happy to see him and apologetic and just wants everything to be okay. Finally, he realizes, oh, I should pretend to be human because I want her to eat this pie and like make nice. And so they have dinner and she's going to clean up and she sends him upstairs to go to bed. And he's like, well, Linda's not here because I already talked to her and made sure to lie about when I was coming home because I don't want her anywhere near this pie, which is a good idea. Right. 
And he falls asleep to the sounds of, of what he recognizes in the kitchen of her going to the cupboard where the dessert plates are and getting the pie server out of the drawer. And he goes to bed in the warm comfort of knowing that he's going to kill his wife. And, and he wakes up in Arizona. <laughs> oh. That that threw me for a minute. He has a dream that he and Linda, like they move and he's practicing law in Arizona. And he's also doing a lot of pro bono work and they're living this really quiet, simple life together, just the way it should be mm -hmm. without his miserable wife who dared to, again, she is an angel for touching his dick. Mm -hmm. for, for dealing with him. How dare he? Fucking all. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, it's cool because this is not presented as a dream. No. It is literally he falls asleep and then it's like several months later, they're in Arizona and they're happy. Him and Linda, uh, everything's great. And he's in his office and he turns around and Linda is standing in the doorway Ooh. holding her nose in her hand mm -hmm. with a black gaping hole in her face saying, I, I don't understand. It just fell off. And that's when he wakes up and realizes that his daughter's things are scattered around the house. And that's why we had that set up with Heidi changing. Like she has a new shirt and her hair is different and some furniture was rearranged. And he's like, well, this is all weird. Why would she do any of that? So when he sees a blue robe hanging up, he's like, and she got a new robe. But when he wakes up in the morning and finally all clicks with him because he thinks back to what Janelli said about, I don't believe in these crazy things unless what I'm seeing mm -hmm. tells me I need to believe in it because that's the reality right in front of me. And he realizes that his reality is that that's Linda's robe because she came home to make up with her mom before her dad got back. And he goes down to the kitchen and there are two... Dirty pie plates in the sink. So he ends up finishing the pie himself. The, the well, book, he just cuts it. Oh, yeah, it, it does. The, the book ends with him seeing this, accepting it, and saying he, cut him, he cuts himself a piece of the pie. I wanted him to not do that and just live with... The misery what he, of knowing yeah, what he did. Yeah, and having to watch them. Yeah, yeah. but that's, that's, that's the point. Is I that know. his... <laughs> Well, and, the, and the, so I was curious to talk to you guys about about this, your first impression versus now, because for my first impression, the my first thought was upon him eating the pie was that's the most selfish choice to get out of accepting what you did. To it all it means well, nothing. And it comes back double on him. So he doesn't have to watch them suffer. Well, he doesn't have to watch Linda suffer. He's probably going to be dead before they get home. So and whatever happens to them, he does not see that. Not only is it selfish, did his selfishness kill other people besides who he's killed already, but it's killed the only innocent person in the story. Lemke told him. He told him exactly what was going to happen with that parting line. This ending, the first time I read it, shocked me. Mm -hmm. I Well, I was much younger too, so it was hard to accept <laughs> terrible things. Yeah, a bummer it, of an ending. That's why I... When this book was selected by one of our Patreon members, I was really excited because I'm like, oh, that's that book with the ending that totally got me. And I, let's oh, I'm kind of going into rating. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, now's the it. time. All right. Yeah. The, I'm going to give it five out of five blue chambray shirts, even though it's dark and hard to get through. There's not much likable about it. The only, the only really likable thing is a real extreme crazy bad bad guy Janelli mm -hmm. the first time I read this book I fucking hated it it is such an unpleasant book it, it's not a fun fucking beach <laughs> read that's for sure 
this read through being able to talk through it with you guys and like kind of work through some of the themes that I didn't realize I just saw it as an unpleasant book about unpleasant people and it being kind of racist but I I didn't hate it as much this time because it serves it's trying to say something I just don't I'm not sure if I know what it is it does well what it's trying to do yeah that being said, it's fine. Three out of five blue chambray shirts. This being my first time, I had the same thing we've already talked about, that how do you make a book with this premise interesting? Mm-hmm. And so it completely shocked me that by the end, I was all in. Janelli was the hero of this book for me. Like, that, <laughs> it was my absolute favorite thing is all, all of his stuff. And so the way it starts so slow... It takes like 80 pages. It took me 80 pages until we met, found out what happened to Rossington to like really get in. And uh, but from that point in, it just got better and better for me all the way until the end. Uh, But because that slow burn at the start was just kind of a slog for me to get through, I'm going to have to give it four out of five blue chambray shirts. That's it for this episode of Dairy Public Radio. As always, thank you for listening. Join us for our next episode where we will be watching the film Thinner. For Benjamin Graham and C.M. Alexander, I'm Joshua Khan reminding you, the definition of an asshole is a guy who doesn't believe what he's seeing. And you can quote me on that. Hey everyone, C.M. Alexander here. Thank you for listening to Thinner Part 2. We hope you enjoyed it. I have a few extra bits at the end of the outro that didn't make the final cut, but before I get to that, I just want to remind everyone that we have new merchandise on our Etsy store. Go to Etsy slash shop slash Dairy Public Radio. And don't forget to follow us on social media and on our Patreon page for discounts and updates. Thank you again to our awesome Patreon supporter, Kevin Sundstrom, for picking thinner. Enjoy these outtakes. You guys know I hated this. Yeah, let's talk about dog drama. The alternate alternate title of this podcast, (laughs) honestly. Boner Talk. Stephen King presents Boner Talk and Dog Trauma. How how long do you think he had to search for an FBI agent whose last name was Stoner? Though? <laughs> you think it's like did the kids that steal high streets uh, yeah. road sign? He was like, okay, we've got this FBI informant or this FBI agent. We can, we can kill him. We can take his ID. What's, What's his, his last? What's his name? Johnson. Kind of funny, but we can do better. (laughs) (laughs) We can do better, people. I'd like to think so. Yeah. The and yeah, screaming like never. He will Mm. never. He's gonna die thin. This is the point where I want to tell what I meant about Janelli. He could be worse. He's the only non-Romani character that does not sexualize Gina. Yeah, he he's the only. Well, he does say he, that he she's says she's beautiful. objectively beautiful, but he doesn't. Yeah, like, but that's not. I don't think yeah, that's, that's not, sexualizing. No. That's just being like, yeah, she's very pretty. He doesn't talk. She about, almost kicked my ass. Yeah, he yeah. doesn't talk about the way her hips look under her yeah. pants. Sure. <laughs> yep. You know, classic guy talk. Yeah. Yeah. See that girl's hips <laughs> under those pants? Girl, you got <laughs> hips under them pants. Gross, you guys. Uh, I get asked that every day. <laughs> the answer is no, I don't have hips. Look at me. <laughs> That's all for now, listeners. Goodbye. <laughs>